Good morning. Uh, does anybody here enjoy board games? Uh, I do. Uh, I enjoy board games, but there's some that I like more than others. Uh, a, a really good board game is one where if you're new and you have no idea what you're doing, you have fun. Uh, or if you're just bad at the game, you still have fun. One game that is not like that is the game of Risk. Uh, the laughter, I can tell you've played before. Risk is the game of global domination. Your pieces on the board other pieces are on the board, and your object is to obliterate your enemies. And you look up, and it's your kids, and it's your wife, and it's your friends. <laughs> but here you have to destroy. And everybody has the same mission. Um, but, you know, you can, be, you can be sneaky about it. You know, in this game, to play it well, you make treaties, you make alliances, you make friends in this game uh, until you wait for your moment to pounce and... Uh, exert your dominance. I remember the last time I played Risk, and I think it was approximately two decades ago, to uh, protect the names of the innocent, uh, let's just call them Matt and Rico. Um, it was late in the game, and Matt had a dominating position. He was clearly the leader. Me and Rico were struggling for life, and uh, so we made an alliance. We made a friendship. I took my armies off my border with Rico, pushed them to Matt's border, and I attacked, and it was effective. We were halfway there. And on Rico's term, all we needed to happen was for Rico to attack Matt, and the, the tables would have been equaled, and then anybody would have been able to win. Rico did not do that. Rico aggressively attacked me. We both became weakened, and Matt won the game. Life was uh, simpler back then. This was before marriage. This was before children. And I, uh, it took me longer than I like to admit to forgive Rico for the outcome of that game. <laughs> so, uh, you know. Anyway, since then, anytime I'm with a group of friends and we play a board game, I always kind of try to guide the group towards one of those games that's uh, more fun for everyone, that doesn't involve the uh, military or economic destruction of everyone else. We're in week 26 of Route 66, where we uh, tell the story of the Bible, the whole story. And if you've been reading along, we're in Kings right now. The last week's sermon talked about the division of the kingdom of Israel between the northern kingdom of Israel, also known as Ephraim, and uh, the southern kingdom of Judah. Several generations have passed by the time we get to uh, the content today, and uh, it's, it's all-out civil war and by now, they're even forgetting that they're relatives. And uh, Israel and Judah, they, they hate one another. Judah's king Ahaz uh, is the king we're going to look at today. And we're going to see how he deals with his power, how he deals with his problems. The spoiler, the spoiler alert on Ahaz is he's one of the worst kings in the Bible. He's a bad king. The work we have today is to wonder what makes Ahaz tick, like, like, why does he make the decisions that he does? What is it that keeps him from God's best for him? I trust that God has something to say to you today as we study Ahaz. Uh, so let's go to him in prayer. Uh, dear Lord, we thank you for your care over your church. Um, 
We're thankful that through technology we can be connected to people in hospital beds right now, people that are holed up at home sick. Um, we remember them, Lord, right now, and we pray that you would care for them. Uh, we pray that you would care for the people in our church that are grieving loss right now. Uh, God, as we uh, study and look at your word, God, help us not to be like Ahaz. Help us to figure out how to not be like Ahaz. Uh, give us a faith, Lord, uh, that's strong. Maybe we'd rise up like eagles, God. Guide us in this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to be a king? It's interesting to think about. You'd have ultimate freedom. You can do whatever you want. With the position of kingship, also, you would inherit real problems. About a month ago, uh, the sermon was about how Samuel warned Israel that if they chose a king like all the other nations, that it would result in suffering. And uh, this is now generations later, and Judah now finds themselves with a king named Ahaz, and they're going to see exactly what Samuel was talking about in a bad king. There are three accounts of the life of Ahaz. Uh, Most of the passages we'll read I'll put up today, but if you want to write them down for further study, or if you want to flip along with us and you happen to have three bookmarks, uh, we'll be in 2 Chronicles 28, 2 Kings 16, and Isaiah 7. 2 Chronicles 28, 2 Kings 16, and Isaiah 7. They all sort of give perspectives on what's happening with Ahaz. We'll start with a summary of Ahaz's life. This is 2 Chronicles 28, verses 1 through 3. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as his father David had done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He even made metal images for the Baals, and he made offerings in the valley of the son of Hinnon, and burned his sons as an offering, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. That's Ahaz. It's like a picture of his whole life. I don't want to sound judgmental here, but uh, this Ahaz, he's not, he's not my kind of guy. He leads his whole nation astray. He worships fake gods. Killed his children in obedience to these fake gods. And there's an easier route we could take, like kind of a lower road where we'd say, like, Ahaz is bad. Let's not do bad stuff. And we can pat ourselves on the back. But I don't think that would help us, one, And two, I don't know if that's really accurate. As I studied the life of Ahaz, I think he's he's actually quite normal. His life is pretty normal. The way he kind of thinks through things, I can make sense of. Unlike the rest of us, though, at 20 years old, he inherits a throne, lots of wealth, unlimited power, no accountability, thousands of people, that have to obey his command. What Second Chronicles says is that Ahaz was not like King David. Uh, that difference was not superficial. So that's not just saying that Ahaz didn't do the right stuff. The, the difference between Ahaz and a good king was in his heart. 
And uh, it's sort of the work of today to get to the heart of the matter of what's going on with Ahaz. We'll start in Isaiah 7, verse 2. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. So Isaiah refers to the nation of Judah as the house of David. That is spiritually significant. He's trying to remind you of who they're supposed to be. Uh, Judah was faithful to God when Israel was not, when they split. And, and Judah actually had a string of good kings, four in a row before Ahaz came along. Um, Syria is also known as uh, Aram. And then what, I, what Isaiah calls Ephraim is the northern kingdom of Israel. So to understand what's going on, let's look at a map. A map helps for something like this, sort of like a, a board game of risk. You'll see Judah there in the purple. Ahaz is the king of Judah and there's a tiny city towards the top. A red arrow is pointing at it. That's Jerusalem. To the Mediterranean side, to the west, is where the Philistines are. They were attacking and raiding Judah and taking slaves. To the east was Edom. They were attacking Judah and taking slaves. All of this to Ahaz was not too big of a deal. Uh, you can see how geographically they're pretty far from Jerusalem. What was important was that Aram, or Assyria, the yellow nation, was now in an alliance. They made a treaty with Israel, the northern kingdom, and they were attacking and besieging Jerusalem. Notice how it says that it says that uh, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake uh, before the wind. Um, this really is not like a board game. Like, the, like people are being killed, taken as slaves. This is war. This would be similar to what is happening on the ground in Ukraine right now. This moment is a mess for God's people, and God's people need help. Well, there's good news. Uh, God sends his prophet Isaiah. So you could think about whatever good guy music comes into your head. For me, it's the A-team. Bum, ba dum bum. You can pick whatever good guy music, but, but this is Isaiah. Isaiah's on the scene, and he tells Ahaz a bunch of things. He says, God is going to care for you. He's providing for you. I'm going to sum up uh, what he says in Isaiah chapter 7. He says that uh, Ephraim and Syria, they're like smoldering coals that fell out of a fire pit. They're, they're no big deal. Don't even worry about them. For God, he can deal with them. They're going to fizzle right out. But then he gives a warning to Ahaz, and he says, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Somebody might need to hear that today. If you do not stand firm in faith, you will not stand at all. I'm convinced this is the key moment in Ahaz's life. His nation is under attack. There's a key decision that needs to be made. What will he do when armies are attacking Jerusalem? He's in a tough spot. And God is offering him an alliance, saying, my covenant is still with you, Ahaz. If you are faithful to me, I'll be faithful to you. They will not take Jerusalem, and we're going to get through this. So what does Ahaz do when Isaiah shows up? 
He does nothing. Ahaz can't be bothered by God's word. He seems to have something else in mind. So we'll pick up again. We have a slide here for Isaiah 7, verses 10 through 12. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Again. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. There's two ways to read this here, and you might be familiar of how Jesus was tempted in the desert. And Satan tempts him, and Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6, and he says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And you might read this and say, well, Ahaz is doing something good. Um, I disagree with that because Ahaz has no, there's no sign that he reads the law or knows the law. There's no sign that he has faith. And secondly, he is not coming to God to test God with a weak faith. God is coming to him. God sees his people are in danger, and he's coming to save. He brings his word through Isaiah. This is similar to when God says to Solomon, again, because God loves his people, he says to the king, their leader, you know, name anything and I'll give it to you. Anything. And Solomon asks for wisdom, Ahaz asks for nothing. So, God knows that these people are in a tough situation. He comes to him through Ahaz, and Ahaz says no to Isaiah, he says no to faith, and he says no to God. If I take some liberties and paraphrase here, you might say something like, you know what, Isaiah, I've I've got real problems, there's real people attacking me, and uh, I don't know if you've heard, our enemies to the north are now in allegiance, and they're attacking the city walls. Do Do your scrolls say anything about that, Isaiah? I don't need church right now, I've got real problems, this is king's business, and I got this. Isaiah has a different perspective. He knows Ahaz is shaking like a leaf, uh, but Ahaz seems to think he has this under his control. We know that Isaiah has written over 60 chapters of our Bible. He's a pretty legit dude. But I think for Ahaz in this moment, he is just disregarding the advice of some spiritual person in his life that for some reason hasn't won his respect. He thinks that he's assessing his options and he's turning away from the foolish one. Ahaz's relational distance between him and Ahaz, I think is everything, I'm sorry, Ahaz's (laughs) relational distance between him and Isaiah is, is everything you need to know about him. Isaiah comes with the word of God, a word of salvation and rescue, Uh, and Ahaz ignores it. This rejection of Isaiah is going to be the core, the center of Ahaz's downfall. But Ahaz does have a plan of his own, and uh, let's look at another map. The map we looked at with Judah, the purple nation in the middle, that all fits in that tiny little red rectangle there. And in yellow is the nation of Assyria, when a tyrant known as Tiglath-Pileser III took control. And the yellow plus the green is the empire of Tiglath-Pileser III at the end of his rule. 
if you've studied world history, ancient history, and the Iron Age, Tiglath-Pileser III of Assyria had a reputation for cruelty. He was harsh. Uh, the fear of his name had a lot to do with his expanding power. And for Ahaz, Tiglath-Pileser III is something like a guru. He follows him. He's a disciple of him. He's a subscriber of all his content. Like Ahaz's heart is turned towards the king of Assyria. Let's go to 2 Kings 16, uh, verses 7 through 9. And let's see what Ahaz, the king of God's people, the king of Judah, says to this nation that sacrifices children to fake gods. Let's see what Ahaz says. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. Ahaz also took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house and sent a present to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria listened to him. The king of Assyria marched up against Damascus and took it, carrying its people captive to Kir, and he killed Rezin. Rezin was the king. So Ahaz gives silver and gold to Assyria, and, and this would have been understood in that day as what's called a suzerain vassal treaty. This is some ancient history for you. Uh, this is a one-way treaty. This is a one-way alliance. Uh, where Judah is saying, for your protection, I will give you tribute. I'll pay it to you. And Assyria, if you happen to go to war, you just call us up and we're sending our troops to help. Like, we are your ally if you would just protect us. This is basically surrendering before the war. Uh, We have to give some credit to Ahaz because his plan seems to work. When Syria and Israel team up and attack King, uh, uh, King Tiglath-Pileser III, he does attack. Assyria comes down, and in their weakness, he defeats the enemies of Israel. And for a moment, Ahaz uh, has no enemies, or at least his largest enemies are defeated, and he thinks he's won a friend. It's a good day to be a vassal of Tiglath-Pileser. And let's see what happens next. This is 2 Kings uh, 16, verse 10. When King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, he saw the altar that was at Damascus. And King Ahaz sent to Uriah the priest a model of the altar and its pattern, exact in all its details. And Uriah the priest built the altar in accordance with with all the king Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Uriah the priest made it before king Ahaz arrived from Damascus. All right, so Ahaz's hero and friend, Tiglath-Pileser, takes over Damascus that used to be Syria. Now it's Assyria. And Ahaz goes up to visit him. And the text tells us that Ahaz sends the exact details of this altar home so that he can have one, just like his heroes. I'm guessing that Ahaz felt this was social progress. He's sort of just continuing to do what feels normal to him. He's copying and mimicking 
the behavior of the people he adores. If you've been tracking along in the, in the Bible, in Route 66, you know your Old Testament, you'll know this is a big deal. It's one thing to give of the treasure of Jerusalem, the gold and the silver, but this is an entirely different thing. The bronze altar that was used for sacrifice was, the details for that are in the book of Exodus. This is where the people of Judah worshipped God. This is where sin was dealt with. These sacrifices that they would make as a part of the covenant they had with God, who they were as God's people, was based upon what happened on that altar. Ahaz just says, "Uh, change it. I want a new one. In that passage we just read, uh, we were introduced to kind of the last character we'll look at. We're going to look at today. He receives those instructions for the new altar. It's Uriah. He is the high priest. Based on what we see, he's either forgotten the law also, or he's uh, just doing what he's commanded by the king. You know who's not a direct character in this story? Not directly. It's, it's God. This story is from the perspective of Ahaz, who doesn't pray, doesn't read his Bible, he doesn't have faith in God. So our characters are Ahaz, uh, Isaiah, Uriah, and Tiglath-Pileser. God was there making a way for Ahaz's salvation and rescue, but it was through Isaiah, and perhaps it was through the high priest Uriah. Ahaz thought he was ignoring people, and he has plenty of faith. Ahaz has plenty of faith. His faith is just in temporary and fake things. But his lack of faith in God hurts his relationship with God's people Isaiah and Uriah. I want us to see how these three people in Judah were supposed to minister in a way that God wanted them to be. So this next slide shows a table. Israel had a prophet, a priest, and a king now. You might have heard Jesus being called correctly, a prophet, a priest, and a king. So Isaiah, Uriah, and Ahaz were supposed to provide vision for what people should do from God's word. They were supposed to provide the forgiveness of sins through sacrifice and the means of how to worship God. And the king was supposed to provide good leadership. And this, these are things we all need and still need. And and the New Testament roles of elder, pastor, and overseer uh, provide those same things. This is God's provision for us. I think if Ahaz looked at this chart, he'd be like, "I I don't need that stuff. He ignores what Isaiah has to say to him. He tells the priest, we're going to worship a new way, and I'm the king, so I I got this. You don't tell me, I tell you. And as king, he doesn't submit to God as his king. He he has no accountability, and uh, he does things his own way. The more I think about Ahaz, uh, the more I see the individualism of our time. It seems like the way the king got to behave in the 8th century B.C. was sort of the way we all normally behave in the 21st century. Kind of do things the way we want. God provided Ahaz uh, with a prophetic word, priestly guidance on how to worship, and instructions on how to honor God as the king, and he ignored those. And it makes me think, Do we have godly people in our lives that we let 
God lead us through them? We could ask some questions like, what job do you work at? Um, Where do your kids go to school? What do you do on your weeknights? How how much is God's word and God's people factoring into those key decisions? Do you let anyone in and do you let God's word speak to you about the real decisions of life or are you normal? Ahaz ignored the prophet and priest in his life and he didn't treat God as a king and this was his loss. He missed out on two huge things. To be culturally, counterculturally set apart as God's people has two benefits. First, we experience true, internal peace with God without conflict in all circumstances. It's not health and wealth. Life can be hard. We still suffer. But you can have peace with God through all these things if we live according to his ways. And the second benefit is if you live according to God's ways, It keeps us from so many of the consequences of normal living. When my kids get to high school, and maybe one day when they get to college, I'm going to try to get it into their heads to just hold back and watch. Just don't be in a rush to be normal or popular. Watch what happens to the normal and popular kids that do normal and popular things. There's a normal way, and there's an ideal way. There's Saul's heart, and there's David's heart. There's clinging to God's ways, or going the way of Ahaz. So here's some questions for you. When you hear something on a Sunday morning that stirs you spiritually, who do you talk to about that to make sure that you continue responding in faith? When a worship leader says you should open your mouth and sing and make praise to God and exalt him, do you sing or do you do what's normal? How do you react when somebody tries to redirect your life towards a more godly path? Are you open to that? There is a way to be here while completely stiff-arming God's provision over your life. When you're young in faith, all you have is Isaiah's and Uriah's. You don't know how to pray. You open up your Bible and you try to read it and you don't, can't make sense of it. All you have as a young Christian is your community in which you grow. And no matter how mature you get in your faith, you never graduate from community. But today, it's becoming normal to have a very individualistic faith, like it's a la carte, that you can follow the people you like, listen to what you like, go to show up when you want. Isaiah 7, 9 said, if you do not stand firm in your faith, then you will not stand at all. That was his word to Ahaz. In any given moment, it can feel rational, sensible, and very right to do the normal thing. Ahaz's moment of false peace with his fake friend came to an end. This is 2 Chronicles 28, 19. 
For the Lord humbled Judah because of Ahaz, king of Israel. For he had made Judah act sinfully and had been very unfaithful to the Lord. So Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came against him and afflicted him instead of strengthening him. For Ahaz took a portion from the house of the Lord and the house of the king and of the princes and gave tribute to the king of Assyria, but it did not help him. Tiglath-Pileser made his move and started attacking Judah. Tiglath-Pileser didn't want a friend. Uh, He wanted access to the Mediterranean Sea, and he wanted more territory. He led a kingdom that would rise and soon fall to Babylon. But in that moment, he was godlike. And I almost feel bad for Ahaz. I can see how he thought he was doing the right thing. Judah didn't need an altar. The old one was better. Ahaz wasted money on stuff that hurt him while neglecting the godly influences in his life. And because he's king, all the people under him suffer as well. They starve, they lose battles, women and children are taken away to foreign nations. And I just want to say again, I think Ahaz's life is very normal for someone in his circumstances. We just have the shock value of seeing 16 years and half an hour. But I hope you can see it too, that this is very normal it's, uh, it's just broken and very far from God's design for how life should be lived, what he, God's will is for his people. We'll read the last scripture of the day. This one's tough too. Continuing down the page in verse, verse 22. In the time of his distress, he became yet more faithless to the Lord, this same King Ahaz. For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus that had defeated him and said, because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and all of Israel. So we're reading a tragedy today. If you remember, all of this hinges on the moment when Isaiah comes. God provides a way and he rejects it. Ahaz's word to God is no thanks. And then he submits his whole nation to Tiglath-Pileser, making a bad deal with a fake friend. He refused an alliance with God, and his nation suffers. Life has a way of squeezing us, too. We feel like we have enemies on each side. What influences you uh, when you feel stressed and tired and beaten down? Some of you keep scrolling lower and lower on your phone, but what you're looking for is an Isaiah. Some of you keep scrolling lower and lower on your phone, but what you're looking for is an Isaiah. A good friend of mine, uh, his wife is an Isaiah. She's got three neighbors, all moms. One is a Christian. The other one is in a spiritual whirlwind, and she doesn't know what parts of her past were God and what parts were manipulation, and she can't figure out which way is up, and she's deconstructing her faith. 
And then the third friend just has fear of missing out. <laughs> so these four moms, they get together and they study the Bible together. The kids are in the other room watching Moana, sticking veggie straws in the couch cushions. My friend's wife, she doesn't come with any agenda other than a spiritual curiosity of what God might do, how he might change a life, how he might heal a heart if we just continue seeking him in his word. Every life group leader in this church is an Isaiah. They email you, they text you, they open up their home to you, they cook for you, they pray for you. Why do they do that? It's because they've experienced Jesus Christ work in a powerful way in their lives, and they want that for you. They are loving you with the love of God, and to you, that might feel boring. Their interaction in your life might feel abnormal. If you could put into words the feeling you get when you get an email from your life group leader, or a text from the Christian friend in your life, if you could put into words that feeling the moment you see that they're reaching out to you, I can predict your spiritual future. I don't see any need to sugarcoat this or overcomplicate it. You're either growing in healthy Christian community or you're believing something else, and you're straying from the time-tested method that God uses to disciple people by using other people. Ahaz was wholly devoted to the game of life. He was, he was all in. He saw it. He was making moves, but there's a bigger board game, and we're not the main character. The one story of the Bible is that God is reconciling people to himself, and that we have a part to play in this bigger game to go out into the world, not to destroy or demolish, uh, but to heal and to help and to love. And if those things aren't happening in abundance here in our fellowship, how will the world ever see God's love? Our enemy is that intangible feeling between us and Isaiah, that spiritual separation that keeps us from loving one another. God is in our friendships. He's healing people through discipleship. And if you're asking questions in your life right now, like, God, where are you? Like, we could ask some questions of you. Who's your Isaiah? Who, who do you let in? Who do you talk to about the real stuff? Who is the elder that you submit to and give spiritual authority in your life? Who are the Christians you live in community with and break bread with regularly? I don't mean to make light of how difficult it is to trust people and to be vulnerable with them. But you have a choice to make. Either you have faith that God is at work through the people around you, or you believe something else. The lie of our age the lie of our age is that you will discover some transcendent, beautiful truth about yourself alone with your cell phone. That is the lie of our time, that you will find who you are and, and just figure yourself out alone with your phone. Ahaz found his idols. 
He devoted himself to them. He devoted his children to them. And they only brought more pain. And Isaiah had to watch. Isaiah watches Judah suffer and people go off to slavery. And he watches Ahaz die. He watches Israel and Syria fall to Tiglath-Pileser. And then he, he outlives Tiglath-Pileser III and he watches him die. Have you ever uh, written something and like your, your hand can't move fast enough? I think that's how Isaiah was writing as he wrote Isaiah chapter 40. If you haven't read Isaiah chapter 40 before, it's better than any football game you'll see today. He says, uh, you know, all humanity is like grass. They're like flowers. God just blows on them and they wither and they fall. The grass fades, the flower withers, but the word of the Lord stands forever. What are you going to compare God to? To an idol? So it's some poor guy makes out of wood, but maybe if he has more money, he can make it out of metal. Have you not seen, have you not heard that God created everything from nothing? He sits enthroned above the sphere of this earth. He gives strength to those who are faint in heart and those who are weak. Young men may fail, youths may stumble and fall. But those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise and mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary, and they will walk, and they will not grow faint. If God is telling you that you need an increase of faith in your life, uh, that's good. That's good. But let me tell you that uh, you will not be able to stand firm in your faith while actively pushing away God's people. The difference between me and Ahaz is I have Isaiahs in my life, and they let, I let them tell me when I'm going wrong, and I literally let them save me from myself. Church is about community. It's about doing life together. The Bible makes this clear. It's not a solo sport. If God is putting his finger on um, this distance you have between you and the Isaiah in your life, uh, that's how I want you to respond. I want you to reconcile that relationship. Consider making gathering with God's people more of a priority. Check out the What's Happening page on Sycamore Hill and consider joining a Sunday Bible study or something else. And if you don't have an Isaiah in your life, I'll be that for you. Monday nights in November at 7 o'clock. Uh, we're going to take four weeks. To, I, I can teach you how to study the Bible in a very simple way. We'll gather and we'll do it together. If I haven't totally scared you off, I promise we'll, we'll not read tragic texts like this. We'll read encouraging stuff. We'll eat snacks. We'll encourage one another. And we'll enjoy the sweetness of listening to God together. Studying the Bible with other people is so great because they help you hear his voice. You, they help you understand God's word in ways that you couldn't by yourself. That's pretty special. And it's classic Christianity. So please, please. Reconnect with the Isaiah in your life and don't push them away. Come Mondays in November, join a Bible study and we'll seek God together. If we take our stand together, waiting for God in faith, he will renew our strength and we can walk without growing faint. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, give us the... Uh, the wisdom, Lord, to not be uh, just normal by default. 
to not worry so much about fitting in with people that if we really could see from your eyes are misguided, Lord. Give us a wisdom that comes from you to remember who you are, that you are mighty, that you have the strength to hold us fast in this world, Lord, that you are the ancient of days. Help us uh, from the weary paths we walk, Lord, and um, strengthen us, Lord, that we would live this life together as your church, as people that honor you by the way we love one another, calling other people to enter your joy and your happiness, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.